Hello and welcome to the place where the revolution will not be televised. But it may be podcast. I'm John. And I'm Kate. This is the People's Podcast, and today we'll be talking about episode 3 of season 5 of The Walking Dead, entitled Four Walls and a Roof. As usual, in this podcast, Kate and I will talk about what happened in the episode from beginning to end, veering off on whichever tangents take our fancy, and then we'll discuss any especially interesting aspects of the episode in more detail. Right, so we start this episode where we ended the last one. Gareth and his hunters have Bob in what it turns out looks like some sort of schoolyard, perhaps. And Gareth is carrying on his discussion about why it is they've devolved into hunters, as he puts it. And how natural it is. And how natural it is. He brings bears in to act as evidence for his cause. Which I thought was very silly. I mean, Bob is not his child. Well, I thought it was Bob is not a cub, and he is not a bear. Oh, that's true. It's, it's one of the things that I've always thought is very strange. When people try and make dubious comparisons to the natural world, lots of really nasty shit happens in the natural world. Yeah. Which we haven't done for a very, very long time. Yes. For good reason. <laughs> yeah. It was interesting because it was almost exactly after he'd done the beat about the bears. Mm. Even he referred to all this as his pitch. Yeah. He says that was part of the pitch. So it's clear that even he, to some degree, acknowledges that he's come up with an argument to justify this stuff and to convince his followers. I thought when he said the pitch, what he meant was when new people arrived at Terminus, that was part of the pitch he gave them when offering either join us or beat us. If you had turned into that kind of person, I think most people would have to try and find some way to justify it to themselves. I think there's very few people who would have the lack of social awareness, even vestiges of social awareness, left over to be able to go, actually, I yes, I eat people and I'm totally okay with this and I don't need to try and justify it. This is just what I do now. Because that would be the alternative. Yeah. And so we, in a way that was drawn out very enjoyably, Bob (laughs) goes from crying to To laughing laughing. and reveals his massive shiny new bite on his shoulder. (laughs) That was a sweet moment. That was beautiful. Even with some inkling that was coming, I enjoyed it immensely. Oh, yes. It's the sense of justice. Yes. Isn't it? Think, wow, you are a pack of cunts. And And you've just eaten tainted (laughs) meat. You deserve this, you fuckers. And also, I liked seeing some grit from Bob. He's so often super cheerful and (laughs) super annoyingly optimistic. Yeah. To see that moment of him laughing at them and just saying, you idiots. That kind of totally fits with his cheerfulness and optimism. He has found the one bright thing in this situation. Are you saying that while he's doing it, he's thinking, well, you gotta laugh. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much. It's like, these fuckers have eaten my leg. But they don't know it's tainted. Ha 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 ha, fuck them. If there was going to be one thing that you could laugh about, he found it. Absolutely. And it made for a great pre-credits sequence. We then had the credits. We come back to Sasha and then Rick and Tyrese looking for Bob in the woods. There's a nice little tense moment looking through the heat scope. Mm. Although I wonder how much heat zombies give off. Was it the heat scope? Oh, well, I guess it was a night vision scope. Yeah. Is that not a heat scope? Well, heat scopes need to be powered. Okay. What's a night vision scope, then? What does it show? Normally it shows heat. Okay. Maybe not. 
I'm not really sure. Oh, well, it was such a tiny moment. But they're looking for Bob, and they convince her that it's too stupid to go off into the woods at night on your own. So back, in, <laughs> back into the church they go. Yes. I'm glad someone finally mentioned that this was the worst idea ever. Uh, we come back in, and we have Gabriel's confession scene. Yes. So, you were right. Thank or at you. least you're right about the line he's giving. <laughs> you think his confession wasn't genuine? Yep. Yeah. You think it was something else? I think it's something else. Okay. Or that's not everything, at the very least. I thought it was fairly convincing. It was pretty convincing. I just don't trust him at all. <laughs> well, for now, I'm going to claim victory on that one. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> what do you think of what he did? Well, I think the thing is, is that he's a priest. That's the thing that, I guess, makes it different to if it was anyone else. He's supposed to look after his flock, and instead, he listened to them die. So I think that is the thing that differentiates this from them finding anyone else who might have done the same thing. In terms of the way he feels about it. And the way... Wow, I, I don't co-sign that at all. I don't think he has more or less obligation than any other human to I, no, I think open he... the doors to your sanctuary and give someone safety. I think he thinks he was meant to. Well, maybe, but I think he's dead wrong about that. In the sense, I think he's really guilty, but I also think if there was a local convenience store owner who didn't open the door and let someone in, they're also super guilty. Yeah, yeah, but he's a priest. Well, From his point of view, he was supposed to look after, you know, his community, and he completely failed. He said, I listen to women and children. You don't think that someone else would be exactly the same amount of guilt, though? Probably. I don't think he gets an extra layer of special guilt as a result of all this. No, no, I don't think you can... No, you can't compare guilt like that, but that is a factor in his experience of having left these people out. And I think in some senses there is a certain special layer of stuff. I mean, he presumably thinks that he's got some kind of God-given duty on Earth. I mean, he's continued being a priest after the world's gone to shit and he doesn't have a congregation anymore. He thinks it's appropriate to continue being a priest. He still wears his clothes, he still lives in the fucking church, he still thinks that's an important part of who he is. So, I think he probably does have that, an extra edge on it, because he probably did consider it part of his responsibility to look after people, and he completely failed at it. And whether he was right or wrong to do that is kind of irrelevant. The point I'm making is, he thought it was his responsibility, and I think that's part of why he feels guilty about it. It's I'm not, sure it's, it's not sure. just the general, oh, I'm a person and they're people and I let them die. It's, I had a responsibility, which no, I failed I to live up to. I understand the point you're making. I just, I, and I'm sure it's part of his thinking about it. I get very suspicious of anything that's to do with the idea that people of faith, people who are priests or rabbis or whatever, have some sort of access to extra ethics and so would feel more acute pain than anyone else who had done the same thing. I expect it's the kind of feeling that someone who had worked in any kind of quote-unquote caring profession. So, you know, like... No, I disagree. No, 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 look, we're just going to have to disagree on this one, but I do disagree. I think the local shop owner would be extremely guilty. I think someone who owned a house would be extremely guilty if they'd done what he did. What if it was a teacher who had not opened, I don't know, a classroom door and listened to the children? Then I think they'd feel really guilty about it. But you don't think they have an extra kind of I think there's always Because extra... the teacher's job is to look after no, the children. No, I think there's always extra pain when you know the people. Yeah. So him knowing his congregation would have made it extra painful and the teacher knowing the students would have made it extra painful. And I'm sure that he is thinking about the fact that he had an obligation as a priest. Yeah. But I think that if it had been the local shop owner, they'd be thinking about the fact that they had the obligation as a human. 
Yeah. I don't think there is some special extra layer of ethics and guilt that people of faith have access to. Well, I agree with that. I don't think there's a special layer of ethics, but I think the guilt is qualitatively different if you were a caring person, someone whose job it was to look after other people. I don't think it has any qualitative or quantitative difference. I just think the ingredients in it are different. All right, well, I think it's a little different. I think it would be different if you were a doctor or a nurse. I mean, it depend on the individual as well, but I think that if you were the kind of person who chose a job in which you perceived you were looking after other people and that was a really important part of what you did... You would care more than if you're someone who just did it? I reckon there's some people who wouldn't care at all. Mm, yeah, but that's just about whether or not you're a psycho. Yeah. I think there are a lot of non-psychos in a whole lot of professions. Yeah, yeah, but there's also particularly caring people. There's also people who choose their professions because they think it's important for them to be able to do certain things. Yeah, look, it's not that I don't understand your argument. We're just going to have to agree to disagree on this one. All right. (laughs) The priest can get fucked. Anyway, (laughs) the other thing that Gabrielle's... That that scene gives us, apart from Gabrielle's confession, which, by the way, I I thought was very well acted, and, I mean, he really does look like a guy right on the edge. Yeah. Who's been eaten away by this experience. Mm. So if he's lying, he's lying very convincingly. Yeah. The other thing we find out from that is the location of the school yep. where Bob was held. Just not far away. So Bob has been dropped off and there's a big A on the side of the church. Mm. What do you think that was about? Are we certain that that's new? Well, I don't think we've seen it before. No. So if it's not new, they've chosen to show it to us new. A. I don't know. I've got no idea. I was thinking about that during the show and I came up with nothing. I mean, it wasn't quite an anarchy symbol. No. That was the first thing I thought of. Yeah, no, it's not the stylized A. Oh, do you know what it anarchists. is? They had the different letters on the train carriages. A for food, B for food, will you encourage A? Oh, yeah. So maybe that's what that is. Right, okay, well it was intended to scare them then. Yeah, you've been marked for food. Yeah. What do you think the hunters' play was here? Do you think they intended to enrage them and draw them out? Um, By yeah, dropping off Bob, they so. left someone who had been to their camp, might be able to give some information on where it was. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly what their plan was. They were ready to go into the church. So, yes. After Bob's been dropped off and everyone's talking about what's to be done, is the scene where Rick, with the help of his entire group, has to strike a bargain <laughs> with Abraham. Yes. I thought Abraham was being very stupid. Really? Yeah. I thought he was dead right. No, I thought Glenn was right. They were always going to have the greatest chances when the whole group was together. Splitting the group was a terrible idea. But it isn't one group. Abraham doesn't have the same objective as the rest of the group. They'd all agreed they were going to go to Washington the night before. Yeah, but what if having a fight with these hunters, or whoever it is who has Bob, takes four days and leads to Eugene being killed? Abraham's first job is to get an alive Eugene to Washington. So what's he going to do every time someone in the group decides they need to do something? He's just going to let him go. Eventually it's going to be him and Eugene and that's it. Well, I put it to you, that's why there were three of them. Yeah, well, I just think that's really dumb. I think that's a really, really stupid plan. I can see the logic to it, though. Yeah, I can see the logic to it in a very short-term way. It's not a long-term logic. The thing that he did not do, which he should have done, which was acknowledged that, hey, I have my goals, other people have their own goals, they can help me achieve mine, but I'm going to have to help them achieve theirs. That is clearly a thing that he did not think. He just decided, well, my goals are the most important, and the effect it has on the likelihood of me getting Eugene to Washington clearly didn't factor in. The long-term strength of his group is of no use whatsoever if Eugene's dead. 
Well, of course. And they're in a place where they've just been shot at and where someone's just come back without a leg and he has the means to put Eugene in a car and drive away. I think there is an argument either way about the logic of him wanting to leave versus the logic of him wanting to stay in order to keep his group larger and stronger. Well, I don't... And I, I think that's how they got him to stay in the end. Yeah. They got him to stay by saying, if you stay for another half day and help, then your group will be larger when it leaves. Yeah. That's exactly what they did. But he's not wrong. It's a dangerous situation and he has the means to extract Eugene. I suppose I look at it from the point of view of all situations are dangerous. This world is dangerous. I don't think it's particularly safer for them to leave now. I mean, they don't know what is lying between where they are at the church and Washington. They know the church is about to be attacked by humans. Yeah, compared to hundreds of kilometres of I don't know what. I don't find that a convincing enough argument to make me leave the most successful group of survivors that I've ever come across. (laughs) I'm sorry, no. Well, I'm not sure. I think there's an argument either way. I think his knee-jerk reaction is understandable. It's, yeah, the knee-jerk reaction is understandable. It's not about keeping his group alive. It's a, this one guy who has no capacity to save himself. Abraham's a true believer. This one useless guy has to be alive at the end of whatever's going to happen in the next two days. Yeah, I still think it's actually quite obvious that the best way that that can happen is to be with a group of survivors who yeah. do this stuff and survive. Yeah, if they've survived and if Eugene survived. Yes, that's what I just said. The greatest chance of Eugene surviving is to stay with the people who have made it their job to survive. Yes, but my point is, if you've got a chip you cannot afford to lose, you cannot gamble it in order to maybe strengthen your position. I find driving off into the unknown a gamble. I'd rather the devil they knew, which is those people from Terminus, that is a more measurable kind of gamble than driving off into God knows what. God does kind of know what. They know where they are, they know what's nearby... They know that the most likely thing they're going to find out in the immediate evacuation zone is walkers, which they can handle, or they can drive past. Mm. He knows, for a fact, that an extremely dangerous group is nearby and likely to be about to attack them. Mm-hmm. He knows that. Mm-hmm. There is 100% certainty of danger in the location he's at. Yep. 100%. Now, what's the percentage of danger, even on a very pessimistic outlook, of getting in the van and driving? Is it, short... is it anything up to 100%? Because if it's anything up to 100%, he's still better off getting in the car and driving. In the next maybe 10 kilometres, it's probably not very high. But over the entire distance between here and Washington, it's 100%. Yeah, but he got Eugene from Texas to here. Gradually losing people along the way. We don't know that. Well, his group's smaller now. His group is small. We don't know how many people it used to have in it. It might have been three people the whole way from Wasn't Texas. Wasn't it bigger when we first met them? Nope, it's the three of them. I'm sure they had at least one or no, two other people. No, they did not. Mm, okay. Well, I think we're going to have to agree to disagree on this one as well. I think that it's 100% certain they're going to run into more trouble along the road and that he would have been better off staying with a group of proven survivors. Mm, maybe. So they strike the bargain and Glenn and Maggie are going to go with him at noon. Yeah. Do you think they would have followed through on that promise if the whole situation hadn't been resolved by noon? I think probably they would have. I can't really picture Glenn making a promise like that without intending to follow through with it. Well, he doesn't really have a history of making promises and then not, not following, them. not keeping them. You know? No, but he also doesn't have a big history of abandoning people either. No, but he was going to take Maggie with him. I mean, Maggie is the most important person to Glenn. I reckon if it had been suggested that only Glenn go, he would have been like, fuck that. If he had promised that only he would go, then I think there's a Lies. significant chance that that was a lie. <laughs> 
But I think he totally would have gone as long as Maggie was going with him. Okay. He spent quite some time with them getting to Terminus. Yeah. He probably feels more comfortable with them than the rest of the group does. So, yeah, I reckon he would have been okay with that as long as Maggie was there. What do you think? I wondered if it was going to come up later in the episode. I mean, it didn't in the end. They lanced that boil quickly. (laughs) But it was... Yeah, I just sort of idly wondered. If push had come to shove, and actually Rick and the rest of the group were still in danger, would he really have gotten in the van and just driven off and waved and said, OK, bye, see you in Washington! Him and Maggie. I mean, I think it about both of them. Would they actually have left if things hadn't been resolved so quickly? I don't know the answer, but... We've got mine. I think they would have. Okay. I think they would have found it hard. They plot how to deal with these hunters. The clever classic TV trope of not quite telling us what their whole plan was, so we wondered if they were coming back to the church. They <laughs> wanted, you know. Yes. But there were two important little moments. One was about whether or not Tyrese was coming, and the other was about whether or not Sasha was coming. Yes. I thought their conversation was really good. Yeah. Well, what did you think of the conversation? I liked Sasha a lot. She's a very effective foil to Tyrese's indecision. Yes. And she very eloquently put forward the reason she wanted to go. I don't need another 20 minutes with the man I love. I need to avenge the man I love. Mm. That was pretty compelling. Yeah, yeah. Well, I found myself on Sasha's side pretty well instantly. To be honest, the point that Tyree's made about you have this time and this is the last time you'll ever have with Bob and you'll never get it back again. That's a compelling point. You know, it was at that point that I sort of went, oh, actually... I would consider that very seriously. Yeah. And as well, when he said, when Bob wakes up, he's going to want to see your face. That as well was quite a compelling point. What I liked about the scene was that one of them didn't have just a laughable point of view. The balance between the two arguments was quite good. Yeah. Tyrese is speaking from the point of view of not even being given the choice to have that. And I expect these are the things that he has decided since that he would have wanted, and which he never got. And the difference here is that Sasha has this choice and she's making it. So I think there's a significant possibility that say Bob had died while she was gone, Sasha wouldn't have regretted it Mm -hmm. because she had agency in that circumstance. Whereas Tyrese never did. No, he had the goodbye stolen from him. Yeah. I also thought the acting was fantastic between the two of them. Mm. I mean, Tyrese always is consummate, but I haven't seen Sasha do very much so far, apart from be slowly wooed by Bob. (laughs) Yes. But I thought the acting was fantastic, and the same from Bob for the parts of this episode where he was conscious. Mm. I really enjoyed all three of them. I have forgiven Bob for his... Relentless optimism. For most of his optimism. Um, But also, (laughs) I think I was right last episode in that if we had only seen one brief scene of them as a couple, Mm. I wouldn't have found this episode as moving. Yeah. It did matter that we'd seen them a few times really happy together. Yes. To believe that Sasha was genuinely upset. Yeah. After that wonderful scene, the game is afoot. The game is afoot. And the A-team from Rick's group head <laughs> the off... The A-team in- from A-marked church. Yeah. Head <laughs> off into the woods, arm to the teeth. And in a really weirdly long shot, for a second I wondered if the TV had frozen up in some I, way. I wondered that as well, but then I was like, no, no, I can still hear it. Yeah. If that, if that had frozen, the sound would have stopped and the trees wouldn't be moving. The effect it had was that by the time the hunters came out of the trees... You were really looking out for them and really tense. So it was quite a sort of nice pacing in the end. Yes. And they break into the church. Demonstrating, if I may say in an aside, that it's not that hard to break into the church. 
Yeah. And I wonder why Gabriel's entire congregation didn't think of it. <laughs> well... And instead decided to whittle on the side of the If church. the plan was always to let them break in, maybe they didn't bolt us as securely as it could have been. Okay, maybe that's true. In fact, I think it would have to be the case, because otherwise I reckon people definitely would have broken into the church. Yeah, if it was that easy to break into the church. Yeah. Gabriel's congregation kind of deserved to die. <laughs> the scenes of them walking around the church and waiting for their victims to come out, they were pretty tense. Yes, they were. Carl was steady as a rock, though. He was, wasn't he? Wow. He was absolutely... Stone-faced killer. Yeah, and... Let me just say, they put the correct protector in the room with Judith. Absolutely. <laughs> Carl's got his shit together more than most of the adults yeah, on this show. Yeah, standing there with the... He, he was, was absolutely ready. As soon absolutely. as that door was open, he was going to... He was going to take down the first three guys. Mm-hmm. That was his plan. Yeah. You know, it was impressive. Probably not the healthiest of children psychologically, but it was, it was impressive. But he's a survivor. He's a survivor. He's set for this world. Of course, it turns out to have been a trap for the hunters. Yes. The hunters were the hunted. And Rick and co. turn up in the back of the church, and they were very stealthy coming in. Yeah, well, they picked up silences the other day. Handy. It was impressive to see them at work like that. Um, I thought the line that they didn't want to waste the bullets, that was kind of terrifying. He was, yeah. Just, we don't need to do this from a distance. <laughs> no, that's right. And it was interesting that given how they'd been set up, as, you know, these are the people who've lost their shit, and we're the group that hasn't. Nonetheless, the killing of the remaining hunters was really savage. Yes, it was. Rick's group may not have lost it, but they are still humans who want to exact revenge upon the people who didn't just want to kill them, but wanted to eat them. They are people who have been pushed to the edge. Yes. And long gone... And will not pull punches. No. And and long gone are the days of Dale standing in the corner and saying, Bob, we can't do this. We'll lose our humanity. Well, (laughs) yeah, we might lose a bit of our humanity, but at least we'll be alive. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll have more bullets. And after all, Rick had a promise to keep. Yeah. (laughs) He really did. As soon as that red handle was shown, I just went, oh, this is going to be bad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Nice little callback. Everything from how quickly it was done, the bulk of the episode took place in one sort of half night, the ease with which they dispatched this adversary. Mm. They didn't even waste bullets doing it. Yeah. What did you think of Sasha's execution? A lot of the discussions she had this episode were between her and Tyrese, Mm. and they were about him not wanting to see her go off the deep end because of what's happened to Bob. I think he lost that fight. Yeah, I think he did lose that fight a bit, but it was interesting right at the end when he's talking to Rick in the graveyard. For the first time, really at all, he expresses how he's feeling. I mean, it's a very blokey conversation. <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> very taciturn. The whole thing's about four sentences long. But Rick asks him, says, I've never asked you what it was like getting to Terminus. And Tyrese just says, I can't remember exactly, but something like, it killed me. The effect yeah. was yeah, yeah. that it broke me. It broke who I was. I'm a different person now. Yeah. And Rick's simple response was, no, it didn't. Mm. You're still here. I think that part of what we were watching this episode was Tyrese watching what he fears in himself play out in Sasha. Yeah. So he's sitting there thinking, is this going to break her? Is she going to be gone? Am I going to lose who my sister was? And I think Rick saying it to him, I don't think Rick's thinking about this, but I think it sort of echoes it in Sasha as well. 
She's still there. She's still the, the woman who couldn't kill Bob when he died. Mm. They couldn't put the knife in his head. She's still in there, but she is capable of this. She is capable of really slowly killing the person who helped kill Bob. Yeah. Well... Or thought they were going to kill Bob. Thought they were going to kill Bob yeah. because he was already going to die. Yeah, no, what I, did you I'm, think of her doing it? Well, I've got a couple of things to say. Actually, the first thing I wanted to say was about Tyrese. Mm. I think when Rick says to Tyrese, no, it didn't, as in, you know, it didn't, didn't break kill you. you. I think Tyrese is still in mourning for the person that he used to be. Mm-hmm. And Rick's point is, of course, that you can't live in this world without it changing you. You can't be the person that you were before. If you are the person that you were before, you're dead. Yeah. That's the thing. And so, this is part of Tyrese's growing pains. This is him becoming who he needs to be in order to be an alive person in a world like this. So there's that. I think that Sasha was taking quite a bit of revenge pleasure from murdering. That's what it was. It wasn't just killing someone. She murdered that person by stabbing him in the chest repeatedly yeah. rather than one swift slice to the throat. She or... took real satisfaction. Yeah, she took absolutely... And so did Rick on the person that he was killing and so did Michonne um, on the person Oh, yeah, no, no, no. I'm not saying it was a bad thing. I just mean Sasha saying... didn't stand out as No, as... she didn't. But she was taking the pleasure that she could in avenging her lover, which is what I would expect a lot of people in this group to do. You could imagine Glenn doing it for Maggie and Maggie doing it for Glenn, absolutely. You could imagine Rick doing it for either of his kids. You could totally imagine Carl doing it for his father or Judith. She's not in any way different from any of those other people. I thought it was, in the circumstance, entirely understandable that she wouldn't make it quick and painless for those fuckers who ate her boyfriend's leg. Before we continue, can I also just say, Catman, not killed. No, Catman, not killed. We saw him last episode, actually. I know, but I, I didn't say anything at the time because I wasn't 100% sure it was him. So I'm taking victory on that one as yeah, well. Yeah, you're right. Tyrese is an idiot. <laughs> Tyrese is an idiot. It's the rule of television unless you see them dead. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Especially on this show. Goodness And God. I generally, this is the thing, unless you, like, if you don't see them dead, yeah. I get suspicious. Yeah, yeah. That makes me suspicious. Well, you were dead right in this case. <laughs> Catman was there, and actually I thought it was interesting in that scene. Catman was the last to go to his knees and the last to drop. And apart from Gareth, he's really the only person from Terminus who we heard any sort of life view from. Yeah. And I thought it was sort of interesting. When he was, you know, there's no choice, and he was saying, yes, there is, there's always a choice. I what thought, was he referring to? Well, I thought what he was saying was, if these fuckers want to kill me, they can gun me down. Yeah, you mean I'll go out fighting? Yeah, I'll go out standing, I'll go out fighting. I don't want to kneel down Mm. so that this woman over here can knife me to death. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he didn't do it in the end, but I, I was sort of interested in his little moment of resistance. Which I thought was in keeping with the very brief look of his character we got in the first episode. Yeah. He had a very fatalistic outlook in the first episode, he and did. he's maintained it right through to when he was fatalised. Yeah. I did like that you could see that, despite Tyree's not killing him, he did really mess up his face. It's the next morning, and we have the farewells to Bob, the sort of strange cue to say goodbye to Bob. Is that strange? I don't know. The way everyone was standing there behind them, not going in one at a time, was odd. I guess it was a way to shorthand that they were all saying their farewells to Bob. Yeah. And they did. It was, yes. yeah, it was all very touching. But the three main farewells that he had were Sasha, Rick and Tyrese. Yeah. What did you think of the farewell to Rick? I found it a bit obvious. He said, before I met you, I didn't think there was anyone good left in this world. It's using good as its most stretchiest. But... It's relative terminology. <laughs> yes. Relative to people who eat people, you're a good man. He basically said, well, you need to keep on doing what you're doing because you're an okay bloke. 
And I don't know, I felt like maybe it was meant to be more touching than I actually found it to be. I'm not sure why that is. Normally I'm a sap, I totally go in for that kind of stuff. But I, I think I found it a bit too... Oh yeah, a bit too obvious. Okay. I normally don't go into this shit at all. No. And I found it fairly effective. Kate, what's happening to us? I know, I know. It's <laughs> mind meld. I thought the final appeal to Rick to not totally lose who he was beforehand mm. was, you know, it was very true to character and it was very nice, but also that sort of confirmation for Rick that he's found a balance that works and that keeps his group alive without turning it into the Hunters. Yeah. There was also the scene with Sasha and her finally saying, why are you smiling, you idiot? No, not quite like that. No, pretty much. What did you think of that scene? I found that a bit touching, I have to admit. I actually think it was nice to see that Bob, faced with his imminent demise, was still Bob. Yeah. I really liked how both Bob and Sasha dealt with the fact that he was dying. He was still Bob. Sasha was clearly still Sasha. You know, obviously she was really upset by his death and... (laughs) You know, he wasn't happy about it, but I think he was probably happy to have found Sasha. It's probably more than most people would hope for in a world like this, to find someone with whom you can get some happiness. I think he probably felt a good deal luckier than most people are. I reckon he probably died thinking, in the grand scheme of things, I've done pretty well. Yeah. What I liked about both the scene with Sasha and with Rick... Because he'd been walking around expounding all these optimistic views and these views about keeping a hold of who you used to be and how important it is to see the good things in life, even in this world. And then he gets totally shafted by this world. Mm. Bitten and eaten on one day. Yeah. There was a real chance that that combination of events was going to completely kill any optimism he'd been trying to instill in these people. You know, that Sasha was just going to become incredibly bitter and angry and that Rick would say, see, if you're happy about things, then bad shit happens. I better turn into a total psycho to leave this group. (laughs) I felt like the final conversations he had with each of them gave a bit of balance back to that and said, even with this having happened to me, I still think you need to walk on the sunny side of the street. (laughs) Do you think that Tyree's sticking the blade into Bob's head after he had died, do you think that was a sign that Tyree's had gotten some of his shit together? I think that the moment when Tyree's will be strong is when he's doing it to save someone else he cares about. He clearly doesn't have the will to do it just for himself. But he seems to... He is the guy who goes back and saves the little girls at the prison, and he, you know... Catman was right about one thing. He's the guy who saves a baby and walks around the woods with it in a zombie-infested Georgia. The thing that gives him strength as a character is when he is using his strength to help others or save others. And no one needed more saving this episode than Sasha when she had to kill Bob. Yes. So I think that's the first step. That and the conversation with Rick are the first step towards him finding a way to be okay with the stuff he has to do. I can't help thinking, though, the reveal that he had left Catman alive, Mm. I can't help thinking that that is yet to be resolved for Tyrese. His problem killing, I don't think it has been fixed by this episode. And I think that, you know, making sure that Bob didn't turn into a walker might be a sign of progress, maybe, but it's certainly not a sign of why I'm now ready to operate as I'm supposed to in this world. I wonder whether that is going to be something which Carol finds out about somehow, that this guy with the cap that Tyrese was meant to have killed, he didn't, Mm. and this person then caused more problems for them later on. Yes, although I think what it really did more was to illustrate to us that Tyrese isn't fixed and isn't able to do this stuff yet, and has lied to the group about it. 
Catman wasn't the swing vote. The hunters were going to turn up and cause problems for them with or without Catman. Oh, of course. But, you know, one person less is one person less. One person less, but they dispatched the whole lot of them pretty freaking easily. Yeah. I wouldn't be distraught if they didn't deal with the fact that he hadn't killed Catman. I feel like it's a loose thread. I feel like it's sort of dangling there. Yes, I just can't tell whether it's to be woven back in or if it's a tassel. If it's a tassel, it's not very pretty. Okay, I'm happy with it either way. <laughs> oh, before we go on, I also just wanted to note that the person that Carol did the middle-aged psycho lady face-off with... It's Gareth's mumsy. Is Gareth's mumsy. Yep. I don't think that was clear at the time. And then at the beginning of the episode when he was talking about eating Carol, that was just never you, going to happen. You're not eating Carol, that's not happening. I just felt like saying to him... You know what happened to your mum? You know how she was totally, totally beaten by how awesome Carol is and how shit your mum was? What do you think Carol's going to do to you? Yeah. She shot your mother in the leg and then she let zombies in to eat her. What do you think she's going to do with you? I don't mind because of, you know, artistic licence, blah, blah, blah. But I did wonder how on earth he knew Carol had offed his mum. Was he sitting in the corner and not helping? He didn't have bloody closed circuit television going on in that place. Mm. How does he know what happened to his mum in the chaos of the escape? Maybe he went into the room just as Carol was leaving and saw the, saw the walkers feasting on his mum. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe he, you know, shot them off and had a quick chat with Mumsy before killing her as well. <laughs> and then, you maybe. know, eating her. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, tainted meat. He tainted meat, tainted meat. But anyway, so I wondered how he knew. Then we see the very last scenes of the episode, the farewell to Abraham yes. and co, including Glenn and Maggie. They made good on their promise. Yes, they did. And they've left Rick's group with a map to follow them. Yeah, so and was, an apology. It was very in keeping with Abraham, generally. What <laughs> to be a dickhead and yeah. apologise after. Sorry I was a dick. Bye. <laughs> Hope to see you soon. What do you think? Are they done with that? Are we never seeing them again? What do you reckon? <laughs> Glenn and Maggie are on the bus. Of course we're seeing them again. I think you're right. In fact, I think that's the reason that Glenn and Maggie are on the bus, is so that the audience knows we'll be seeing them again. Yeah. I think if Glenn and Maggie weren't on the bus, I think there's a significant chance the audience would expect that we just weren't going to see those people again, because they have not been around long enough to be considered main characters and part of the main group. Yeah, that's true. I assume Glenn and Maggie are going with them so we can actually follow their story a little bit. Like, not just when Rick catches up with them again. No, 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 no that's what I meant. Of them on the road. No, that's what I meant. Oh, good. There's the bloke scene between Tyrese and Rick out in the graveyard that we've already talked about a bit. Yeah. And then we cut to Gabriel and Michonne sitting on the steps of the church. I thought this was an important scene for Gabriel in that it was part of his slow journey to catch up with everyone else about what you have to do in this world. Oh, that reminds me. Sorry, going back again. At the end of the executions... Gabriel coming out and sort of looking at the carnage and then going, this is a house of God. And I just felt like going, can you fuck off, mate? Can you just fuck right off? You don't understand anything. Anything at all. It absolutely reminded me of, in the last episode, when he had said violence is abhorrent to the Lord. And I was thinking from their point of view, I just would have said to him, two days ago, Someone tried to eat me. And you're telling me that violence isn't okay. 
It was just another example of how massive he disconnect. is a massive disconnect. Yeah. He's clearly spent the last two years in his church not dealing with anything on the outside yeah. because he doesn't know the basic things that you need to be able to do to stay alive. Yes. When like- you don't have a basement full of fucking canned food. Yeah. And I got like Maggie's little moment. She spoke for the entire audience and the entire group and she's just like, no, it's not. Just four walls and a roof. Four walls and a roof. That's right. But I thought that his conversation with Michonne, Gabriel's conversation with Michonne, was a little bit of him starting to get it and starting to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And her response to, you know, yes, today was horrible and yes, it'll happen again. It'll definitely happen again. Yeah. But it isn't what happens all the time. Yes. Perhaps gave a little window into how she deals with it, which is, you know, it's interesting. I'm liking that we get these little snippets of Michonne more and more. She was sitting there contemplating her reclaimed sword. Yeah. Which, after the last episode when she was talking about the sword... She I was, don't she was, sword. she was almost talking to the audience, who were all sitting there in it. Going, our, going, it's not Michonne without the yeah, sword! Yeah, in our little fanboy way. <laughs> That's and, exactly what we did. Yeah. <laughs> and she was almost talking directly to them when she was saying, you know, I don't miss the sword, I miss the people I've lost. And mm. the sword is, in many ways, a representation of the worst period I've had since this all happened. Yeah. The reason I got good at the sword is that my life was shit. Yeah. And it's not that bad anymore. I'm not sure yet what she's going to do about the sword's return, and I'm not even sure if she knows yet. I think she might sort of ritually leave it somewhere, or give it to someone, maybe. What do you think? I think she'll keep it. I think from a purely practical point of view, it's an extremely efficient killing weapon. I think even if it was causing you a bit of psychological distress, I think it would have to be really quite severe before you consider giving up a tool that you were very efficient at using. I just think it's too useful. I agree. And then, just as a kicker right at the end, <laughs> they hear something and true to both characters, Michonne Gabriel goes runs, to investigate. Gabriel runs inside. Like he scuttles, <laughs> he scuttles so fast you almost can't see him. And he's back inside the church. Well, I mean, to be fair, he would be useless outside the church. I, don't get me wrong, I think it's the right decision, but goodness <laughs> me. Thinking about that long term thing again. It is the right decision every time you meet a walker, except that it means eventually you can't deal with walkers. Yeah. You know, the reason he is like this is that he's scuttled inside every single time. Yeah. But yes, probably a good choice in this particular situation. He scuttles inside, and hooray, it's Daryl coming out of the bushes, but who is with him? Yes. Where is Carol? Where and is Carol? Is Beth with him? What's happened? So that brings us to the end of the episode, but that was actually going to be my first question. Who did Daryl talk to in the bushes? Well, I want it to be Carol, but I feel like it probably isn't Carol, because I think to build up that suspense and then to have it be Carol would be a bit of a anticlimax. Okay. Put it this way, if Daryl had come back on his own and then for like an episode they just didn't know where Carol was or something and then she turns up, that would be satisfying. But I just don't think it makes a lot of sense from a storytelling point of view. To keep us all in suspense for a week to find out that it was just the other person who had gone missing. That's a pretty classic manoeuvre, is the whole instantly resolved suspense thing. Yeah, but I think it's cheap. It's very cheap. But I don't think this show really does that. I don't think it does the... Doesn't do cheap suspense. Not that cheap, no. Here's what I think might be the structure of the next episode. 
I think the next episode might be the same 24 hours that we've just watched. From Daryl and From Daryl and Carol's perspective. perspective. Yeah. And if it was exciting enough and adventurous enough and they get Beth or whatever, I'm going to overlook a bit of cheap suspense if it turns out at the end of the next episode what happens is they're well, all coming out of the bushes. Well, that could work in that circumstance. But it couldn't work, really, if the next episode starts and just takes off from where the last episode finished. Yeah. Because... Like I said, it would be totally an anticlimax. Oh, I agree. But if they showed that period of, what, 12 hours from Carol... No, 24 hours by the time we get Oh, yeah, it's 24 show. hours. From Daryl and Carol's perspective, then yeah, it would totally work. Yeah. I think it would be interesting, because we were contemplating that Gareth and his mob were going to be possibly the antagonists for this season. Well, that's obviously not the case, because mm. now they're all dead. So maybe instead it's the group that stole Beth. Perhaps Daryl and Carol did a kind of hit-and-run operation on wherever it was Beth was being kept, extracted her, and then got back to the church. But now they're going to have to deal with whoever those people were. I mean, Carol and Daryl are awesome, and if I was going to choose two people to save a member of the group and wipe out the antagonists... I would pick Carol and Daryl. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I think they could totally do that, and I would believe it from a storytelling point of view. However, that would then leave us with nothing to do for the rest of the season. There are two potential groups floating around who might be the same group, but what we've seen of them has been very different. One group is the group that attacked Terminus. Do we definitely know that the people that attacked Terminus and caused its inhabitants to rethink their way of life... Do we definitely know that those people are still a factor? Because Terminus was taken back. Is it not possible that Terminus just killed them? No one's ever said. They said we retook it. And That's true. I think the mum even maybe said we ran them off. Definitely no one said flat out they were That's our first true. meal. That's true. If they had eaten them, it would have given a whole new meaning to uh, revenge is a dish best served cold. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like making that joke is a trick they wouldn't have missed. <laughs> exactly. So, there's the group that attacked Terminus, and there's the group that have Beth. They might be the same group, they might not. But I think there's still time in this eight-episode run to meet both of those groups, potentially. Yeah. There's a couple of questions to do with Gareth's hunters that were unresolved this episode, although we probably got some more information. One was the question about tainted meat. There has been a lot of debate about whether or not, given that everyone's already got the virus, is it tainted to eat the meat of someone who's been bitten? If you're frying it up pretty good, is it actually a danger to eat Bob because he's been bitten? I don't know. I mean, we don't know enough about the virus. We don't know enough about its biology to be Mm. able to tell whether that matters or not. Mm. I mean, it's certainly true that cooking any food makes it safer to eat. That's one of the major advances in human development was was cooking our food. In fact, I think there's currently a theory that the development of large brains, which for a long time was attributed to the consumption of meat, may in fact be due to cooking. Because it makes vegetable matter much easier to consume and makes you able to extract a lot more energy. More digestible. Yeah. That, that, in fact, was the great advance, rather than becoming omnivores and being able to eat meat as well, that it was, in fact, cooking, which has a huge leap forward. It's certainly possible that cooking meat which has been bitten does make it safe to eat. But then there's also the other argument that if they've already got this virus, then what is it about eating someone who also has this virus but has been bitten? What is it about that that makes it unsafe? Well, biting definitely accelerates the dying from the virus. I mean, people, yeah. aren't, people aren't dying from yeah, the virus, yeah, yeah. they're but, dying, but dying 
presumably that means that something is entering your bloodstream. There is some kind of accelerating factor, whether yeah. it's a huge addition of viruses that triggers the whole process or... Mm. Or whether, you know, perhaps being a full-fledged walker actually means that there's something else going on. Maybe there's another protein or something like that that activates it. Whatever it is, there's something different about being bitten. Yes. And I think it's fairly safe to say that its entry into the bloodstream is what matters. There are quite a lot of things which you could consume that your stomach would destroy before it entered your bloodstream in an active way. So, it's possible that eating tainted meat would not have done anything at all. Yeah. On the other hand, there's also things that the stomach doesn't break down and doesn't digest. Otherwise, Panadol wouldn't work, for example. Yeah. So, I think it's interesting because it's a point of show law that there isn't a definitive answer on yet. Yeah. And they very cleverly stopped there being a definitive answer this episode. Because yes, it was far too quick a turnaround for us to know whether or not the tainted meat mattered. Yeah. The other thing that the hunters referred to was the fact that they'd marked the trees so they could find their way back. Find their way back to Terminus. To, well, yeah. I mean, and there was a sort of conversation about back to what, and, and it was all part of his... I was thinking at the time when he was saying that, I was like, well, that would be like Rick's group trying to go back to the prison. Yeah, exactly. It, you know, it, it had been ruined. It had been overrun with walkers. It was on fire. There have been a number of theories about what it means, the marking of the trees, including one that's related to the old system that hobos used to mark houses and say whether or not people were likely to give food. Right. There have been a lot of theories, some of which held water and others didn't. But this episode, the hunters seem to have said that was them. But I think the one thing it does is it gives a reason why Morgan might find the group. If he's following the marks on the trees. Yeah. Because otherwise I was sitting there thinking, how is he... I mean, eventually they might just bump into each other. But if he is tracking the group, he now actually has a solid reason why he found them if he turns up in a couple of episodes. Yeah. Anyway, I'm happy about that. Anything that gets Morgan back into the show makes me a happy person. (laughs) I wonder about the timeline. Of what? Of what we've seen so far this season. Can't be more than about three days. Because, what, 24 hours passes in this episode from beginning to end? The second 12 hours passing very quickly, of course. Yeah. And last episode... Yeah, I'm pretty sure you can count the nights. You can never count the nights who've been shown. I mean, the first episode, there's very clear timelines. This episode, there's very clear timelines. But the second episode, the thing that brings an element of uncertainty into the timeline is... We don't actually know how long that opening sequence of scenes was meant to happen over. And some of them were at night and some of them were during the day. But they could all have happened over 48 hours or they could all have happened over two months. I feel like if it was two months, there would have been some sign of it. Their hair isn't noticeably longer, which it would be after two months. And there's also no specific reference to how... Like, if they were wanting to clue the audience into some sort of massive time lapse, you think they would say something about it. For example, Abraham would have said, so we've been doing this for quite a while now, maybe it's time to head north. Yeah, it's a good point, actually. I think that's probably one of the strongest indicators that the timeline is probably as it appears. Abraham would not have waited ages to talk about going to DC. And I think one of the other big indicators is that the sort of conversations they're having throughout are the sort of conversations you have immediately after you've caught back up with people. The final conversations aren't them sitting around going, oh, rabbit again? There's still conversations about, I don't want to talk about what happened on the road. And if they're still having those conversations two months later... I feel like Carol just would have gutted people. Yeah, when Rick said to Tyrese, I never asked you what was it like getting to Terminus, if that was two months, it was pretty neglectful. <laughs> yes. Clearly he doesn't care much about what Tyrese is going through. Yeah, well, maybe he, like us, just finds it really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think at the moment my money's on directly... A short month. turnaround. Yeah. 
I agree as well. And that's certainly what I saw watching it. The reason that there's some doubt is that in a synopsis that was listed, an official synopsis, that final scene of the first episode with Morgan walking along the tracks yeah. refers to months later Morgan's walking along the tracks. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, maybe he is months later and we're seeing all this stuff now and in several months he's going to turn up. But maybe. that's not throwing a bit of uncertainty around the place. Yeah, well, certainly the audience would not have that impression. Taking what has been shown to us on face value, that's not what I think anybody would conclude. That this last little bit at the end happened months later. No, it's, it's not at all clear that that's the case. Hmm. And, you know, I don't think you should have to read a synopsis on an official website... To realise the, ti- the timeline of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Another question. I think there are two things that Eugene and Abraham are walking around as sale points, basically. Yeah. One is the cure, and the other is Washington is safe. Yeah. It was threaded all through what Abraham was talking about, and it was actually what Eugene referred to when he was appealed to by Abraham, when they were pitching to the group, we need to go to Washington. Yeah. The bit that they really hit upon was, once we're there, it's safe. So I think there's two separate elements, and I think a lot more people believe in the safety than the cure. Than the cure. But who do you think believes the cure? I'm not sure if I can make that kind of judgment. I mean, they haven't had any discussions about it. There's nothing to base it on. I don't know. I, I, I'm not really willing to... I think that particularly that second point, the thing about the safety, makes it very hard to tell who really believes in the cure. I think what they want to believe in is a place where they don't have to constantly watch their backs all the time. A place where they don't have to worry about being eaten. I got a feeling that probably Glenn and Maggie might believe in it if they were willing to go along. I doubt that would have been just to get to safety faster. I mean, it was part of a deal, of course. They were trying to keep Abraham around for longer, but um, I don't know. I feel like Glenn and Maggie are generally optimistic kind of people. They probably both fall into the camp of whistling into the wind. So, yeah, probably they do. I reckon even for them, though, and anyone who believes in the cure, I think the most that they really do is they hope that the cure is true, rather than really believe it. Mm. But I don't know who else. I feel like they've really not talked about it. They've had so much on. (laughs) First they were being eaten, and then they were running away, and then they were being eaten again. It's been a blockbuster week. Yeah, so I feel like they haven't really discussed it and there's very little to base it on. Fair just, enough. Just based on the personalities, I reckon Maggie and Glenn probably believe it. I think Glenn does. I think Maggie's going with him, probably. Anyway, I think that's fair enough as a response. Um, I think it was interesting, I've just remembered, and I think it's funny that, that I forgot it because it sort of mirrors what happened on the show, which is that Tara offering to go with Abraham and co mm. just had no effect at all. Yeah. If you stay, I'll go with you, and everyone's just like, sorry, who are you again? I think it just showed how low status she is for both groups. Yes. And it was kind of a sad moment. She's still earning her stripes, so I don't know if it's sad. I think it's what everyone had to do. She's having to do it with a lot of catching up to do. That's true. For example, Abraham and Rosita aren't having to do it. Everyone just believes they're badasses, because they are. (laughs) And it was, you know, she says, I'll go, and everyone's just quiet, and then Glenn suggests that he and Maggie might go, and he's like, (laughs) no, you're never leaving! (laughs) <laughs> not breaking up the group Tara can I help you pack your bag like it was just it was such a different reaction well Tara hasn't had those moments that the others have had no in which to show I'm awesome at surviving that hasn't happened no so hopefully she gets some opportunity soon or they're going to keep doing interesting things with the fact that she hasn't got the opportunity yeah what was your favourite part of the episode 
Even though I felt that it was coming, I think it was the reveal that the empty church was a trap. I reckon that was probably my favourite part of the episode. When they turn up behind them. Yeah, because it was a continuation of this theme, which is fairly well established now, that this is a group of people who have got their shit together, who don't go to pieces when one of their group goes missing, for example, or... (laughs) Who don't get frightened when some cannibals put a letter A on their building. They just sit down and go, right, how are we going to kill these fuckers? Rick's group, nailing it. Yeah. So I reckon that was probably my favourite moment, because it was reinforcing yet again that they have this shit sorted. What about you? What was your favourite moment? Well, it'd be easy to say the red machete moment, just because it was a nice, satisfying payoff. But actually, I found the opening scene quite effective. There was some cool camera stuff with Gareth seeing his reflection in the faces with the walkers. Yep. But I think Bob's moment of crying, then laughing, then showing them all what's happened. I think that was probably my favourite part of the episode. (laughs) We're not going to get much more Bob, so it was a nice little quality Bob moment. (laughs) I'd forgotten about Gareth looking into the window and his reflection, because obviously that's... uh... It's sort of implied that Gareth is basically the same as Walker's. Well, yeah, it's two groups of people that eat people. Yeah. And it was reminiscent of the governor looking at the heads of Walker's in his aquariums. Yes. Creepy man. That was so creepy. So I think that was my favourite moment, was the opening scene and Bob getting to do a reveal back to these people Mm. in just the way that they'd revealed to him that they'd eaten his leg. Yeah. His delicious leg. Oh. (laughs) I looked up St. Sarah. Because one of the things we got in that long shot where we thought the episode Mm. might have frozen was a long view of what the church's name was, and it's St. Sarah's, which is an unusual saint. And St. Sarah is the patron saint of Romany gypsies and nomads. That's fitting, really. Yeah. Considering they've just become nomadic again. Yeah, it's a nice little touch. Mm. She also, a different Sarah, is the wife of Abraham in the Bible. Really? So I don't know if that's relevant or not. Oh, Okay. I thought that was interesting as well. Mm, alright. Zombie kill of the week. There weren't many options. No, I don't think there was one. They're all pretty standard zombie kills. Just knife to the head. I think there is one. Well, I'm going to give it to Tyrese for killing Bob. (laughs) Just because I feel he needs needs the encouragement. (laughs) Dear Tyrese. Just trying to say, well done. You you got a zombie kill of the week for sticking it into Bob. That's what she said. (laughs) Alright. A score out of ten for the episode. Did we do this last week? We forgot. We can do for both episodes if you like. I reckon last week's episode was a 7.5, maybe an 8. I'd agree, something edging up towards 8. This week was definitely an 8. This week I really liked. I'd give this week 8.5, maybe even 9. Really? I just enjoyed it. More than the season premiere? You gave that 8.5. Yeah, although I did say edging towards 9 for that as well. Okay. This was a very good episode, and I really... I continue to be optimistic like Bob about the improved Uh, writing on this show. Well, not exactly like Bob. Well... Otherwise, I'd find you intensely irritating. (laughs) I don't... That'd be a good thing, John! (laughs) Stop. My optimism about the improved writing continues to be rewarded. That's good. So I think it's sort of a compounding score in that. But... No, you're right. Compared to the first episode, the first episode was fantastic. This episode was also really good, though. Yeah, that's why I gave this episode 8, as compared to the season premiere, which I gave 8.5. Yep. So. I like this one a lot. Plus, they killed an annoying character. <laughs> that's true. They killed an annoying character, and then for his last moments made him not annoying. Exactly. All the things they didn't do with Laurie. <laughs> All the things they didn't do with Laurie. Even after she was dead, she was annoying. Well, that wraps it up for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. 
If you have any feedback, please send it to tppfeedback at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter as at tppfeedback, and you can find us on Facebook just by searching for The People's Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Unless it's cruel. Then you can fuck right off. Bye! Fuckity bye! The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. There it is. Containing me. Oh, how'd you like them apples? Well, alright then. He was talking about eating Carol before. I oh, know. Not okay. I want those people to come after Carol. And then I want her to fuck them up. Tell them all dead. <laughs> oh no. A terrible solo night mission's catching. Eugene, move it. I want to. Drekkie's gonna shoot up the minivan. <laughs> Eugene, the useless. Oh, I. Mm. Today is the day. And steady as a rock. Oh, oh, oh. Is... Yeah! You won't be shooting anything for a while. <laughs> is that Captain? Yeah. Taurus is a dick. Whoa. Whoa. That is some full on carnage. Saved a few bullets. Hey, look what she's got! Oh, yeah. Tremendous. This is the Lord's house. Oh, fuck off. No. Fuck off. It's just four walls and a roof. You tell him, Maggie. Not a good time to look away. No, stay in the room and make sure he actually killed him. <laughs> Why aren't they all going? To Carol and Daryl. Oh, of course. Ooh. But mostly, they just hate Eugene. <laughs> oh, is this Morgan? Because that'd be great. Daryl? Oh, I'm excited. No, I'm not okay with this. What the fuck did that mean? <sighs> Excellent. What did that mean? <laughs> oh, Kate, I'm not okay.